0: Well, it appears I've changed my mind. I maybe will get a 6 millimeter Creedmoor. <music> Hi everyone, Ron Spomer Podcast. Say recently I did a blog. No, I did a YouTube video and it was a part response to a blog I'd done several years ago when they came out with a 6 millimeter Creedmoor. And in my blog I said, Good grief. Why do I need a six millimeter Creedmoor? I already have a 243 Winchester and a six millimeter Remington getting a little redundant here. So I sort of poo pooed the cartridge. But then I got to diving a little deeper and realized there are some advantages to the six millimeter Creedmoor. It doesn't really go any faster than the 243 Winchester, or maybe not even as fast as the six millimeter Remington but it's in a more modern format that handles those longer high BC bullets with a fast twist barrel. So when you get to looking at it, there's some good reasons to get one. Well, in the process of doing this video, I mentioned that the first 24 calibers in the United States were the 243 Winchester and the 6mm Remington, which at the time of its introduction was known as the 244 Remington, which is what I think is one of the coolest names for a centerfire rifle cartridge. But it fell out of favor, and then they changed it to 6mm to sort of revive it. But at any rate, I mentioned that both of those came out in 1955, and they were the first 24 calibers in the United States. And I got chastised by a viewer who got better information. And I should have known this. I did know this, but it just never popped into my head. Daniel says, Ron, you are incorrect. The first six millimeter in the U.S. was the 6 millimeter Lee Navy in the 1890s. It fired a one hundred thirty grained round nose bullet at two thousand five hundred feet per second or so. This was the fastest military cartridge of its day. It was also the smallest bore and was used with some success. So, once again, no, the two forty three Winchester wasn't the first. First relevant cartridge, certainly. I'm glad you've responded to all my small, petty corrections, but they are petty but when you are in authority and you're attempting to be one you need to be accountable <laughs> take care <laughs> so uh, more credit to you daniel i always say i'm gonna fess up on this when i screw up but he's absolutely right as soon as i read that comment i thought oh god yeah the the six millimeter lee navy was pretty famous it came in a straight pull bolt action too um some will argue that it wasn't technically a straight pull because the bolt actually rode up as it came back. It was pretty funky, but I think Winchester built rifles for a time for civilians, and they certainly chambered the round and sold it. So the six millimeter Lee Navy was the first US 24 caliber. I stand corrected by Daniel. Good job, sir. Now we have more questions and answers today, and the team has pulled some up. I don't know what they're going to be but they are going to try to stump me, and maybe we can get some corrections from you folks on this one, too. <laughs> so the first one is from Scott, and he asks, Ron, do you tumble brass? If so, what type do you prefer? <laughs> now, I'm just going to make a joke, but I guess I won't. Of course, Scott is referring to hand loaders tumbling their brass to clean it. You put it in this tumbling device called the tumbler of all things. Can you imagine? And it essentially shakes them, vibrates them against abrasive media to clean them up and polish them. And the abrasive media is usually corn cobs or little chunks of walnut hulls. That works pretty well. So it's a fairly soft scrub. And it just vibrates and vibrates for several hours until it gets all the tarnish off. And you've got a nice clean case. Do I tumble brass? Occasionally. Only if it gets really old and pretty dirty. Uh, But generally, I just clean it up with some toweling or something, and it uh, works pretty well. But boy, if you want it to look pretty, you tumble. (laughs) And then Scott's second question there, if so, what type? I assume he's referring to, gosh, I don't know if he's referring to the tumbler or to the brass. I probably think in the tumbler. And I really, I think I've got a Franklin Arsenal tumbler. And I had an RFDBS for a while. I think I must have sold that one at a garage sale when I was moving or something. But they're pretty much all the same. And it's really similar to what rock uh, hounds use. If they polish their rocks that they find, same basic vibrator. So it's just a big tub and uh, it shakes back and forth. So I don't think it really matters which one you get. They all work pretty well. And as far as brass, if you're actually asking what brass I use, that varies widely depending on what I have. You know, some of the top brass out there are real expensive, like Lapua, and Norma, usually pretty darn good top quality stuff there. And then some of the less expensive um, factory loads aren't all that high quality on their brass because they figure it's a factory load. You shoot it once and you're done. But I've gotten... Many, many reloads from the common brass from Remington, Winchester, and Federal as well. So I don't dote too much on that as a hunter. If I were a target shooter, I probably would. All right. Now, this is from Charles. Charles asks, who makes your dark brown brimmed hat? This one? (laughs) This is by uh, Outback Trading Company. And I bought this about 10, 11 years ago before a trip to Africa. And I have just love it. It's, as you can see, perforated all through so it gets good airflow. And it's got a bendable wire here in the brim so I can sort of shape it and make it look like an Australian Outback hat. I figure if it's the Outback Trading Company, that must be what it's supposed to look like. So check it out. I think we've got it on Ron Spomer Outdoors' website. You can click on there and buy one. This is from Will. Our Lehigh Defense 220 grain, 44 caliber deep penetration bullets comparable to LBTSWC bullets at the same velocities. <laughs> You're challenging me here with all these acronyms. LBTSW. Wadcutter has got to be what SWC is, a Cutter bullet, but I'm not sure what LBT is. Hmm. Anybody ask which would be better to take down a grizzly bear? Man. I'm sorry, Will, I'm not sure what the LBT stands for. Uh, Maybe I do know it, but I'm just blanking on it right now. I just can't put the, the words together on this one. But as for what you should use in a bullet for a grizzly bear, generally, we are all thinking a fairly heavy bullet, fairly large caliber, obviously, but fairly stout in construction. That's the biggest concern. What's called a controlled expansion bullet. That's what you want to look for. Not something that could break up into smaller pieces and not penetrate through massive bone and muscle and hide to reach the vitals. So I would say the bottom of the heap would be the bonded bullets because a bonded bullet is generally pure lead for the core bonded to the gilding metal jacket. And while those two pieces stay together, they can break into chunks too and break up pretty badly. Uh, you'd like a little harder lead, I would think, anyway, in a Grizzly stopper. So I would go with something like Swift A-frame and uh, Partition Bullet from Nosler, where you've got your lead locked in the back. Uh, definitely the Barnes Triple Shock, tipped Triple Shock type bullets, all copper, homogenous, hollow nose. They generally stay in one piece. They're going to retain, gosh, 90 to 100% of their weight. I shot a Grizzly Bear with. TSX bullets one time and recovered one in the snow after it had passed completely through the grizzly bear. It was fired from a 300 caribou rifle, which is a sort of a an improved 300 wind mag. It was in a Borden rifle. Jim Borden built it up and it was kind of his pet caliber and he recommended it for grizzly bears. And by golly, it worked beautifully. Shot that bear two times, once in the heart and once in the spine as it was running off with the heart shot. And both bullets made a trace in the hill behind it in the snowbank. And I dug around and was able to find one of them. It was a 180-grain MRX bullet when it started its life downrange. And when it was recovered in the snow, it weighed 180 grains. hundred And that's 100% weight retention. That's the kind of stuff you like for a grizzly bear. But there are a lot of good controlled expansion bullets. Federal has several trophy bonded bear claw and some updates to that. I think Terminal Ascent is one of them. Uh, So anything that has a bonded core and or a locked in core or all copper monolithic type, that's what I would look at. And the Lehigh Defense 220 grain, 44 caliber deep penetration bullet. If I know which one you're referencing there, that is an all copper bullet that should do the job. So I think that, but I'm sorry, I don't know what this LBT SWC bullet is. Semi-wad cutter is the SWC part, but I just can't put a handle on that LBT. I'm sorry. All right, Colton. Colton asks, what do you think uh, 110 grain barns bullet in a 270 Winchester would work uh, on elk? How well would it work on elk? Boy, it's getting pretty light. Um I think it would do the job if you put the bullet in the right place. It's definitely going to retain a lot of its mass. And even though it's so light, should penetrate darn well. I have taken elk with a 270 and 130 grain cup and core deer bullet behind the shoulder. worked just fine. So I don't see why this should be any less effective than that. But if I were doing it, I would look more for maybe a 120 grain. Uh, definitely a 130 grain would work. Um, I don't know that 150 grain in a 270 would stabilize because those Barnes bullets being all copper are quite a bit longer for their weight. So you're going to have some issues with stabilization there. So I would not recommend the 110. I'm sure it can be done, especially because you'll be able to increase your velocities a lot more. And all of that really contributes to carrying that energy down range and the bullet would stay together. So if that's all I had, I surely wouldn't hesitate to use it. But if I had my, my druthers i'd go with 120 grain somewhere in that weight category all right nathan do you have any recommendations for a lefty hunting whitetail and mule deer well if you're a lefty a southpaw and you're hunting whitetail and mule deer i would say my recommendation is to go where the big ones are (laughs) you probably weren't asking that were you (laughs) you're probably recommending a a rifle and i'd Do not keep track of who's making Southpaw bolt-action rifles these days. I know Savage always does. They've probably got the biggest collection. Remington used to. Um, Browning, I think, on rare occasion has made some. Um, But I think the nice thing with a lot of these boutique rifle makers these days is that you can get left-handed actions. Most of them are building using CNC machinery and computer-assisted design and stuff so that it's not that difficult for them to flip things around and go from right to left. So on a custom order, or maybe they just have them as standard. So I would check out places like Christensen Arms and um, Fierce Rifles. Oh gosh, there's so many. I would even look into maybe Gunworks. I'm not sure if they're offering any, but there should be a bunch of them out there. But your other option is to go with a single shot. Falling block single shot, like a Ruger Number 1 or the old Dakota Model 10, which, by the way, I think they're going to start building one like that or maybe that very one on that model anyway, at the new company starting up called Park West Arms. And I'm pretty excited to see if they'll start making those uh, Model 10s again because that's a sweet little single shot. But uh, break action single shots would be good as well. Uh, quite a few of those inexpensive ones from Thompson Center, and uh, I don't know if they're still making that New England Arms Handy rifle in a break action, but that might be an option, and of certain, certainly there's a lot of European ones like Merkel and Blaser, they each have the break action, and those are wonderfully accurate rifles. So that could work for you if you're a left-hander. Um, yeah, that'd be about it. Pump action, lever action, they're all going to be ejecting out to the right side, but... The safeties are, if it's a Tang safety, I think you'd be all right as a lefty. Really, the only thing you'd have to worry about is where the safety's located. So those are some ideas. I'm sorry I don't have it nailed down for you, but not being a lefty myself, I just don't keep up on those left-handed actions. All right, this is Logan. Given that the 375 Ruger is virtually identical to the 375 H&H, is there much of a point to buying and shooting the old war horse? Seems to me that you're dealing with more weight, longer rifles, more expensive rifles for no reason. Is there something other than sentimental value that will keep the h and a key player going forward? You might be onto something there, Logan. <laughs> I think the old warhorse has met its match, but I also think it will keep going because of what you said. Nostalgic value plus the number of rifles that are already out there. Sure, if you're buying new, you've never had one before and you're looking for efficiency, that 375 Ruger does the same things ballistically that the 375 H&H does in a more efficient cartridge. It's shorter. It's a 30 6 length instead of a 375 H&H length, which is a full-length magnum. So you're exactly right. It's a more efficient lighter rifle, shorter rifle and all that good stuff. But I think a lot of folks who go to Africa where the 375 H&H is pretty much mandatory, that's probably where it's the most popular. They are going to go with that just because so much of Africa Safari is nostalgia. You're thinking back to the glory days of the mid-20th century, and it's got such a reputation over there that it's just kind of like if you're going to go on a big buffalo hunt, you want a side-by-side British double in a 450 Nitro Express or something, but those are pretty pricey, so your next best option is probably a 375 in a bolt action. Uh, I've certainly used them, and uh, they can work quite well if you get the right bullet. I've had problems with my bullet selection on that particular cartridge over there, but I'm going again this later this year with a 375 for a Buffalo, so we'll see if I can do it right this time. Good question, Logan. Chris. Which cartridges do you think may not survive the current supply chain issues as manufacturers assess which factory cartridge and loads to bring back into production? <laughs> oh, that is a good question, Chris. I hadn't thought about that, but boy, I think we probably should. So what's happening right now, of course, is that there's such demand for ammunition they can't keep up. I read the other day that Remington, they'd uh, hired 900 new employees at their ammo plant. And Fiocchi has built a new ammunition manufacturing plant, I think, in Arkansas or Missouri someplace. So these companies are really gearing up. They tell me they're running 24-7. They're cranking stuff out. You go to the store, you check the shelves, and what do you find? 308 Winchester, 9mm, and maybe some 6.5 (laughs) Creedmoor. And I assume what's going on is that they are trying to meet demand, and that's where the most demand is. So they're going to continue cranking those out and to meet that demand because I assume they make the same amount of money whether they manufacture a 308 or a 708 or a 260 or a 65 Creedmoor, whatever. And if the demand is there for the bigger stuff or the more popular stuff, that's what they're going to make first to make that demand, which suggests your 280 Remington might not get loaded for a while. (laughs) So are they going to assess which ones to bring back into production? Yeah, I think they certainly will uh, piece by piece, you know, as they get caught up and the demand slows down, I think they will then start to produce factory loads in the next most popular. So maybe they will start cranking out more 7-REM mags and 300-Win mags and the 270 Winchester Magnums and they just go down that popularity list. So if you are shooting a real oddball, I would suggest you look real seriously into hand loading. In fact, no matter what you shoot, I think you should look seriously into hand-loading because it is a lot easier to store up some basic supplies like bullets, powders, primers, brass, and build your own ammo as you need it than it is to rush out in a crisis like this when there's a run-on ammo and not find any. Yeah, and still, you do need to have your bullets and your powders and all the rest of it, and you can get a shortfall on that stuff too, and we're having that right now, with particularly with primers. But but I just think you're in a better position to make some ammunition if you've got the reloading tools. So if you want to find out more about hand-loading, uh, buy some of the hand-loading manuals out there and start studying up on it. You can go to uh, our channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors TV, subscription service, but we do hand-loading instructions on that. And uh, you might might be interested in finding out how to do that stuff, so you check that stuff out. Might work out well for you, Chris, but yeah, keep your uh, eyes open for ammunition, folks. I'm hoping that we can get caught up and start making some of the oddball stuff again because, boy, it sure is fun, and there are so many of us out there with rifles that fire those old rounds that it would really be a shame not to have them. Oh, one more thing. Consider these boutique ammo loaders, hand loaders, the semi-custom and custom guys. There are quite a few of those small shop operators who, who load to your specifications or they'll even take your rifle in and build a load for it that works the best in it. You pay a little bit more for that kind of a service, but guys like that can probably build you ammunition in odd cartridges that you're not going to get from the factories for a while. So you might want to look into those. All right. I think that's uh that's it for the questions for today. Yep. So I appreciate all the questions and Daniel I appreciate you straightening me out on that six millimeter Lee Navy. I should have known better. I've known about that cartridge for many, many years, but sometimes the information just leaks out of the hard drive. Hey, this is Ron Spomer inviting you to subscribe to this channel. Give us a thumbs up and a like if you can, and let us know if you're watching or listening on the podcasts. And uh, we just enjoy having you folks along. Thanks for all of your suggestions for future blogs and videos, and thanks for sending in your questions and answers. (laughs) We really appreciate it. This is Ron Spomer Hunt Honest and Shoot Straight. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh. <laughs> Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.